So the reading that Tissa read is an extract from a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, to the Corinthians. Uh, But what is Paul trying to address? Well, before we go any further, we need to understand something of the context. So the Christian message had gone out from the church in Jerusalem, and now churches were beginning to spring up all over what was the Roman Empire. And it seems that the church in Jerusalem was facing financial hardship. And so the Apostle Paul uh, was uh, raising money from churches elsewhere to support them. And the church in Corinth, which was actually quite rich, had pledged to give generously, but their giving hadn't really got off the ground. By contrast, the Macedonian churches, which were extremely poor, they'd asked if they could give, and they'd already started giving. Interestingly, the same thing happens today. It's a, a well-documented fact that poorer congregations uh, tend to uh, give a higher percentage of their uh, income. I was a curate in uh, London, in uh, Tottenham, and our parish was in the bottom 5% of social deprivation in the country. Uh, many in our congregation had very little by UK standards, and yet... They were phenomenally generous. And that's what the Macedonians were like. They had nothing, but they were willing to give beyond their means. The Corinthians, on the other hand, they were pretty wealthy, uh, but they couldn't quite bring themselves, or they're struggling to bring themselves to be generous givers. And Paul, uh, well, to be honest, Paul is, with this part of the letter, trying to shame the Corinthians into proper action. Now, uh, we are definitely not uh, trying to shame anyone this morning. Uh, That's not what we're about. But we are going to use this passage as a way of, uh, well, as a structure, really, uh, to help us answer three questions. Why should we give? How should we give? And how much should we give? Why, how, how much? So firstly, why should we give? Well, last week, we saw that God is a generous giver. In fact, every good thing that we have uh, comes from God, including our very lives. If you were here last week, you'll understand uh, that God doesn't owe us anything. As sinful human beings, we're not entitled to anything. Uh, We only have anything at all because of God's generous, self-giving love. Generally speaking, uh, there are two ways for us to view our lives and possessions. Either we look at them through the lens of ownership, or we look at them through the lens of stewardship. Ownership says, my life and my things, the stuff that I have, it's mine to do what I like with. And I think probably for all of us, that's our default position. Stewardship is about recognizing that we belong to Jesus. And if we belong to Jesus, then it stands to reason that our life and our possessions belong to Jesus too. Nothing we have is ours. We may have been entrusted with a lot, but ultimately everything belongs to God. So if God is the owner, we're like the managers. And the owner doesn't give away all his assets. He entrusts his assets to the manager with the expectation that those assets will be managed wisely and well. You may have heard of the the parable of the talents. Well, that's how it ties in. As one author wrote, A steward manages the assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets he manages. It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets, then carry out his will. But how quickly 
we say mine, mine, mine about the things that God has given us, entrusted to us. Uh, so we can be like a small boy who's been given a bag of lollies by his father. And uh, then his father asks for one of the lollies and the little boy says, no, they're my lollies. If you've spent any time around children, you've probably had that experience. And uh, The child doesn't seem to recognize that were it not for his father, he would have no lollies. And actually, the father could take away the lollies at any point. Uh, not only that... But the father doesn't even need the lollies. He could easily go and buy a bag of lollies for himself. But he wants his child to share because he knows that will be good for his child. Being generous will have a positive effect on the child's character and on the child's life. You know that when we give financially, we're not really uh, making a decision about how much of our wealth to give. We're really trying to work out how much of God's wealth we're going to keep for our own purposes. So that's the first reason to give. God is a generous giver, and actually everything we have belongs to God anyway. Our job is to work out how God wants us to use our life and possessions. If uh, if we're not asking that question, we're actually missing the whole point of life. The question again, how does God want me to use my life and possessions? The second reason to give is that our giving honours God. In verse 2, Paul boasts about the Corinthians' pledge of a a generous give, albeit uh, he's trying to make sure that they do fulfil their pledge. He says, For I know your generous, your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. Two weeks ago, Scott was explaining how the church is meant to reveal God's character to the world. So when Christians are generous, it reveals a generous God. How wonderful it would be if Christians across Australia and around the world were radically countercultural in the way that we view wealth and spend money. What a fantastic witness it would be if Christians were renowned for being generous. Wouldn't that be tremendously honouring to God? Our giving also honours God's plans. Verse 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will always abound in every good work. God has given us all that we need. We're like the Corinthians. Even the hard, most hard up amongst us are comparatively rich. Do you know that Australians rank second on the global per capita wealth table? Only the Swiss have more money per person, and I'm not encouraging you to try and move to Switzerland. God hasn't blessed us abundantly so that we can live a cushy life compared to everyone else in the world. As Christians, we believe that God has resources so that we can abound in every good work. God has resourced us so that we can build his kingdom. You might say, well, I can build God's kingdom uh, without giving uh, financially. So actually, I'm not sure that we can because we're not called as lots of individuals. We're called as a church. And if we're not giving or we're just giving loose change, then the church becomes unsustainable. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way so that... You can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
I read somewhere that God doesn't enrich us to improve our standard of living. He enriches us to improve our standard of giving. We are enriched so that we can be generous. And our generosity results in people thanking God. Our generosity results in mission and ministry and lives being changed. Our uh, generosity results in God being honoured. Do you know that if this church can become self-sufficient by the end of the year, the diocese will pay for us to have a part-time youth worker. Imagine the, the impact of that, having an extra person who's dedicated uh, to reaching out to young people with the good news of Jesus, discipling them, and watching them grow into the church leaders of the future. Imagine that. Verse 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If we sow sparingly, if we're stingy, then we can't really expect to see very much happen. If we sow generously, if we manage the assets that have been entrusted to us wisely, uh, then we can expect an abundant harvest. If we're generous, we can expect this church to have a huge kingdom impact. And I hope all of us here want to see God's kingdom advance right here in Springfield. Whether we like it or not, ministry costs money. And the only way we're going to have money is if two things happen. One, uh, we practice generosity. And two, we keep inviting people to come and join in with what we're doing. We need to be a generous church and we need to be an inviting church. And in so doing, we will honour God, we will honour his plans, and we will steward his resources wisely. Next reason to give it draws us closer to Jesus. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever we invest in shows what's important to us. The way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, says a huge amount about where our priorities are. And the more money we spend on a particular thing, the more important that thing becomes to us. Uh, So when we're giving money to God, the things that are important to God become important to us. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we give generously to God's work, as the Corinthians were being encouraged to do, uh, then that work becomes really important to us. We really care about the work. When we give generously to the church, we want to see the church grow. We want to see the church have an impact. We want to see lives changed and transformed by Jesus, and we begin to get really excited by it all. Generous givers will soon find that it's not only their money going to the church, but also their time, prayer, and service. There may be someone thinking, do you know what, I'm not sure that I want my money, time, prayer, and service going to the church. But Jesus said this, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot love both God and money. You know that money, wealth, and possessions are among uh, the greatest idols uh, in our culture. And we have to make a decision. Uh, Where is our main priority? Uh, Who do we worship, Jesus or money? Do you know that we can't simply incorporate Jesus into our lives? You know, we kind of fit him in wherever we can. 
As, as, you know, as if we've got a little box for Jesus. You know, here's my Jesus box. And sometimes I take it down on a Sunday and I rummage around and then I put it back. We can't compartmentalize our lives like that. We need to surrender our whole lives to Jesus. And that is when we experience the fullness of life that Jesus offers. Uh, giving breaks uh, the grip that materialism has on us and moves us closer to allowing Jesus to change and transform every area of our lives. The fourth and final reason which we should give, actually there's loads of reasons to give, but we're just looking at four today. The fourth reason is that giving demonstrates our faith. Last week we were looking at the generosity of God, and we saw that uh, God offers us everything. We are co-heirs with Christ. Ultimately, we inherit God's kingdom. God gives us everything. If we claim to believe this, we ought to demonstrate it in the way that we live our lives. I mean, if we think that this is all there is, if we think that when we die, that's it, everything just stops, then one could understand why we might try and hold on to things. You know, we don't know how long we're going to have it. Got to make the most of it while we can. But if we have a different perspective, an eternal perspective, if we recognize that the best is yet to come, well, then we can hold lightly to money and wealth and material possessions. And we realize that actually our, our fullness of life is not dependent on our bank balance. Now, this is it's a hard message. And I'm preaching to myself as much as to us as a congregation, because this is not easy. Um, Calvin said um, there, are, there are three conversions. Conversion of the heart, conversion of the mind, and conversion of the wallet. And it's normally the, the conversion of the wallet that comes last. This is a tough one. We want to hold on to our stuff. We're kind of wired that way. It's not an easy message, but it is what Jesus taught. Verse 13 says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. If we confess the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, we need to live as if it's true. We know that it's true. We need to live as if it's true. Our generosity demonstrates our faith. So those are a few reasons uh, to give. But how should we give? Well, the first thing to say is that there are many ways to give. We can give our time, money, possessions, gifts, talents, prayer. Uh, and actually, we should be aiming to give all of those things. But the amount of each that we're able to give will depend on our age and stage of life, uh, will depend on our situation. Uh, so, for example, uh, a student might not have much money, but they might have a lot of time and energy, depending on what course uh, they're studying. An executive couple with high-flying positions in the city might not have much time, uh, but they might be in a position uh, to give uh, financially, to make a generous financial contribution. In other words, what people are able to give will vary, but we should all be giving. And this morning we're talking more specifically about the financial side of that. So what about the how? How do we give? Well, the first thing is that we should give in secret. Jesus said this about giving. He said, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't make a big song and a dance about it. Uh, people don't need to know how much you're giving. Uh, God sees what you're doing and God will uh, reward you. Don't we, we don't need the, the praise and the approval of other people. The second thing is that we give wi willingly and cheerfully. 
Verse 7 says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is a heart issue. Uh, We saw last week that God's generosity reveals his character. Generosity is love in action. And so we ought to be praying that God will pour his love into our hearts so that when we give, we give willingly and cheerfully. But sometimes we simply need to make a pragmatic decision. I'm going to give because I know this is the right thing to do. And as we've seen, often it's the case that our heart follows after. But you know, the most wonderful thing about giving is that it changes us. It makes us more like Jesus. Uh, Do you know that studies have shown uh, that generous people tend to be happier? And the most generous person who ever lived is Jesus. He gave up everything. Jesus is also the most joyful person who ever lived. Giving helps us to develop a Christ-like character. And that leads to a deep joy and satisfaction with life. Thirdly, giving should be prayerful. Please Please do not give to this church until you have prayed about it. And if you're married, uh, if possible, please uh, pray with your spouse about it. Uh, Where Paul says, give what you have decided in your heart to give, he's assuming that the Corinthians have prayed about it. This is a big decision. Allow God to speak into your life. If necessary, ask God to change your heart. I know I'm having to do that all the time. Fourthly, our giving should be consistent. Uh, For various reasons, the amount that we're able to give will vary at different points in our life. Uh, But we should always be given something. And the best way to ensure uh, that our giving is consistent in the financial sense is just to set up a a direct transfer with the bank. Or um, we've got a system called Parish Direct. I'll explain a little bit more about that during the notices. Uh, But the truth is, this church cannot survive without regular planned giving from all of us. And when I say all of us, if you're new to St. Andrews, uh, well, that's slightly different. But for those, uh, I'm speaking about those for whom they see St. Andrews as their home, their church home. And that brings us to the last point. And that is that uh, we give from the first of our income, a biblical principle that we give from the first. In other words, we, we, we don't spend our money on every conceivable thing. And then At the end of the month, if there's anything left at all, then that's what we chuck in the plate. Um, By setting up a bank transfer, we ensure uh, that our giving is one of the first things that comes out of our account. It's a very intentional way of demonstrating uh, where our priorities lie. So finally, and this is the one you've all been waiting for, how much should we give? So you may have heard everything that I've said and still be thinking, he just doesn't understand. I don't have any spare cash. I haven't got any money to give. Uh, my children receive between $1 and $2 pocket money a week, and I'm encouraging them to give. It may only be 10 or 20 cents, uh, but they can afford to give. We can all afford to give. The question is, how much? Well, 2 Corinthians 8.12 says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. We can only give according to what we have. No one is expecting us uh, to give an amount that is going to push us into financial hardship and difficulty. Uh, that said, today's passage makes it very clear that our, generous, uh, sorry, our giving should be generous. 
In other words, it should be sacrificial. I like to call it the ouch factor. The ouch factor is when you give and you know you've given. You know, you set up that transfer and then you say, ouch. And sometimes it's a a step of faith, but it's a cheerful ouch. When it comes to the amount people give, I don't want to be too prescriptive. Uh, But if we're giving loose change so that we're really not even going to notice whether it's there or not, I don't think we can describe that as sacrificial giving. At the other end of the scale, some will say, well, isn't the Old Testament requirement for 10% of everything? Well, that actually was the tithe known as first fruits. Uh, But the total mandatory requirement for giving in the Old Testament, when you total it all up, uh, could have been as much as 25% of a family's gross income. But even if we were to take it as 10%, uh, for some families, for some people, uh, not talking specifically about this church, but in general, uh, for some people, 10% would be too much. That would push them over the edge financially. For other people, 10% would be nowhere near enough. So we need a more nuanced approach. You know, the the standard for our giving doesn't come from an Old Testament law. It comes from Jesus. Jesus is the standard. And as we know, Jesus gave up everything, everything, even his very life for our sakes. But, you know, I don't want you to give because you feel guilty or obligated or because you think there's some magic target that you've got to try and hit. I want you to give simply because you prayed about it and because the Holy Spirit has laid it upon your heart. I want you to give because you love Jesus, you love his church, and you want to see great things happen in his name. It's that kind of giving that will have a transformative effect on us, the givers. It is that kind of giving that will have a transformative effect on this church, its mission, and its ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge that you are the most generous giver of all. You have given us our lives. Every good thing we have is a gift from you. We pray that we can recognize that. And we pray that we can examine ourselves and look to see where our priorities are in life. And help us, Father, help all of us to become more generous so that we can reveal Uh, your character to the world so that we as a church can grow and thrive and bring people the good news of your son Jesus Christ so that we can see lives changed and transformed we can see uh, people uh, who have never even acknowledged you being brought to faith we can see marriages being strengthened we can see uh, children growing up in secure environments. We can see your love being poured out on those who feel that no one could ever love them. We pray, Father, for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.